30. Okay, members, um, very welcome, and welcome Minister Pooch and Robert Huey, Chief Vet. Um, as we know, the, the meeting will be broadcast, recorded online, broadcast through Parliament Buildings, and you can use your mobile devices as long as they're muted and in airplane mode. We have um, no apologies and no chairperson's business, and um, I can seek agreement for the minutes. Okay, and there's no matters arising. Uh, so, item five in the agenda, uh, we have oral evidence from uh, Minister Putz on the withdrawal of DERA and local authority staff from the ports. And well, welcome, Minister Putz. Um, uh, Minister Putz to the committee, and Robert, um, who's joined us here today. And I'd like to invite uh, the Minister to brief the committee, and then members will ask questions thereafter. So. Okay, thank you, Chair and Committee members, um, for the opportunity to discuss the decision on the 1st of February 2021 to temporarily suspend checks in the products of animals' origin at Belfast and Lauren Ports, in support of the evidence already provided to the Committee by my officials on the 15th of April. And with the agreement of the Committee, I would like to restate some of the key events leading up to and following the 1st of February 2021. On Thursday, 20- uh, 1st of January, my officials were alerted to incidents of graffiti identified in Lauren threatening portal staff. Sorry, Chair, the, excuse me, Chair, we're having some broadcasting difficulties. Apologies, Minister, if you just sure. give me one moment, we'll try and sort <coughs> that out immediately. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. 
This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly, Committee Room 30.
This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room 30. This is the Northern Ireland Assembly Committee Room. Okay, uh, members, um, just we, after that brief uh, interlude there, um, we're going to get kicking off here. So I'd like to, we have the Minister here with us uh, for an oral evidence session on the withdrawal of dear and local authority staff from the ports. I want to like to invite the Minister to resume his, um, his, his briefing. Well, I'll just go back to the start, just in case any members didn't didn't hear. Well, thank you, Chair, and thank you, Committee uh, members. I appreciate the opportunity uh, to discuss the decision on the 1st of April 2021 to temporarily suspend checks on the products of animals' origin at Belfast and Lauren Ports in support of the evidence already provided to the Committee by my officials on the 15th of April. And with the agreement of uh, members, I'd like to restate some of the key events leading up to and following 1st of February uh, 2021. Thursday, 21st of January 2021, my officials were alerted to incidents of graffiti in Lorne threatening portal staff. Thursday, 28th of January 2021, Chief Veterinary Officer represented the department at a meeting of Solus, at which the issue of security was raised. During that meeting, a local government representative raised a concern about the seriousness of potential threats. On Wednesday, the 27th of uh, February or January, rather. PSNI uh, Assistant Chief Constable Mark McEwen uh, spoke uh, to the Northern Ireland Affairs Select Committee expressing his concerns. The following days, um, a senior local government official uh, contacted me to raise potential health and safety risks due to the threat to staff at Lauren Port Point of Entry. It also several discussions with my colleagues and a range of other stakeholders across Northern Ireland who reported threats that I assessed to be credible. Following these discussions, I spoke with the Permanent Secretary on the 31st of January, raising concerns about the safety of staff at the points of entry. I subsequently co contacted the PSNI to provide more details. As you know, the Department has a legal duty to look after the well-being of their departmental staff under the Health and Safety <coughs> Work Act. I take health and safety issues very seriously. This is reason I spoke with the Permanent Secretary again on Monday, the 1st of February, this time to formally register with him my concerns about the health, safety and security of the DERA staff working at the points of entry. On Monday, the 1st of February, at the request of Solus, I also met with the chief executives of the Mid-East Antrim and Belfast Councils. At that meeting, security concerns were highlighted and there were reports of vehicle registrations having been recorded, threatening graffiti and younger staff in particular feeling threatened. On balance, based on the information I had received in numerous discussions with various stakeholders, I was not convinced that senior PSNI um, had a full understanding of the risks. I was very concerned about the risks posed to staff, and given his uh, duty of care to the staff, I contacted the Permanent Secretary again on the evening of Monday, the 1st of February. I made him aware that the Mid-East Antrim Council were already taking action and asked him to take action to protect staff from my department. I understand that following this call, the Permanent Secretary spoke with the Chief Veterinary Officer to agree a way forward, considering a range of issues relating to safety and security of staff. The Permanent Secretary and the Chief Veterinary Officer agreed to temporarily suspend physical inspections of products of animal origin at Larne. In a phone call with the Permanent Secretary, I indicated his content of the wording of the statement was read on the basis of information received today and pending further discussions with the PSNI. Deere has decided in the interest of the well-being 
of staff to temporarily suspend physical inspections of the products of animal origin at Lauren and Belfast. The situation will be kept under review and in the meantime full documentary checks will continue to be carried out as usual. As you know, uh, at that time I temporarily uh, stood down as Minister and Minister Lyons took over for a, a short period in order to deal, deal with my own health issues. However, as already outlined by officials in the update they provided to the Committee on 15th of April, <coughs> there were a number of significant developments in the days following the decision to suspend physical checks on the products of animal origin. In summary, these include a briefing provided by officials to my colleagues in the Committee, a verbal update to the Executive by Minister Lance on 4 February 2021, attendance by dear officials at PSNI stakeholder meetings, the completion of a dear site-specific assessment and the receipt of formal written PSNI threat assessment. These events culminated in an informed decision for DERA inspectors to resume physical inspections of the products of animal origin at Lauren and Belfast points of entry on Wednesday, 10th of February. You will appreciate that my request to suspend physical checks on products of animal origin was not taken lightly, and that given the potential threats I have been made aware of, my decision was based on ensuring the health and safety of my officials, which is of paramount importance. In addition, I was assured that the temporary cessation of physical checks on consignments of products of animal origin entering the Belfast and Lauren ports of entry from Great Britain would not have a negative impact upon biosecurity or animal health traceability, given this assurance they do not want to see staff put at risk in order to undertake these checks. Thank you. Thank you, Philip Minister. Um, okay, Minister, I'm, I'm just move on around the room. Uh, Philip? Uh, thanks, Chair, uh, and thanks, uh, Minister, for, for attending. Uh, You've highlighted yourself that the, you know, the, the time, the day of the decision, uh, you were stepping aside from ministerial duties. Uh, I mean, you, you very clearly put in public record uh, your opposition to the, the Irish Protocol. This inquiry has uncovered a letter from the Chief Executive of Mid-East Antrim Council to the British Home Office d displaying a similar attitude to the <coughs> protocol. So, and we've also heard from the PSNI about their uh, level of assessment which they deemed very low and based on graffiti uh, and social media activity. So g given all of that, uh, Minister, uh, that was happening around the time of, of your decision, I mean, what do you say to the suspicion that you know, the, you know, the threat of the threats to staff was exaggerated in some way to uh, get a particular political outcome or create tension around the Irish Protocol? Well, I think the, your, your first presumption, and there's a presumption, uh, conflates two issues, uh, which is an entirely wrong premise. Um, I'm dealing exclusively um, with the issues raised by staff, um, the issues raised directly by members of staff, um, and the issues that were raised uh, by people on the ground uh, in terms of uh, public representatives. Uh, who I consulted with. So <clears throat> the first thing that alerted me was on the Wednesday whenever Mark McEwen made his comments uh, to the Westminster uh, Select Affairs Committee. Um, subsequently to that, I made it my business to, to um, identify information to see what the situation was. I received a call um, on, the, on the Saturday uh, from Mid and East Antrim uh, Council indicating their concerns. That was followed up on the Sunday um, with a further conversation with that official. Uh, it was followed up with a conversation with Assistant Chief Constable uh, Barbara Gray. Uh, in that conversation with Assistant Chief Constable, I'm very surprised um, I haven't told, said it yet, 
uh, but there was uh, uh, I was informed that uh, Crime Stoppers had um, received uh, a report um, that came from a, a, a coded source uh, relating to all of this. And uh, I, I then followed that up the following day with meetings again uh, with uh, both the, the local government officials in Belfast and Larn. So there's a whole series of events that go through here um, that would have led us to uh, a conclusion that we could not guarantee um, staff's well-being. And I put it to you, if you were in my position and you couldn't guarantee your staff's well-position, uh, or you couldn't guarantee your staff's well-being, what would you do? Would you put them at risk? Because I certainly wouldn't. Well, I mean, I, I think that... When the committee has gathered all the evidence, it will come up with its, its own report on this. I mean, I, I think clearly in a situation like this, most people would expect the viewpoint of the PSNA to be paramount, and their assessment was low. You said in your evidence that uh, you engaged with political colleagues uh, and stakeholders uh, to come up with an assessment of paramilitary activity in Larne. I think just given uh, your, your own election to... Uh, the DUP leadership and, and the issues that have uh, come out publicly in relation to that, people would be interested to know who, who the stakeholders were that you were engaging with throughout this process. Councillors and MPs. Okay, and, and, and they were able to give you a definitive uh, rationale for paramilitary activity in Larne? They were able to give an indication of uh, what things were like on the ground in, in, in their own areas, yes. Over and above the assessment of the PSNI? Over and above the assessment of the PSNI, and in conjunction with um, what local police officers have been saying, uh, because there seems to be some, um, some issue with information that was coming from police on the ground and uh, police uh, at the senior level. And I, I have given you an example where the, the, the material that was raised through Crime Stoppers, for example, um, did not become public, um, that uh, the, the, the police withheld that information from both Belfast and, and Lar our Mid-East Antrim and Belfast councils. So uh, that, that caused me concern. Uh, I was absolutely horrified on the Monday whenever I learnt uh, that the Chief Executive of Belfast in particular um, had not been made aware uh, that there had been um, something that came uh, from uh, a, a source which wasn't just someone ringing into Crime Stoppers, but was a source which I believe had a code, and that wasn't reported. So uh, if PSN at a senior level um, were holding back information, that's for them to answer, not for me. Okay, and, and finally, Chair, just with your indulgence, uh, I mean, it's, it's connected in the sense that uh, its outworkings are, are, are designed to politically impact on the protocol, Minister, when you're here, can I ask you uh, if your refusal, your refusal, and that of uh, DUP ministerial colleagues to attend North-South ministerial council meetings, as uh, set out in the DUP five-point plan, are in conflict with your pledge of office and the ministerial code, uh, which requires participation in all aspects of the Good Friday Agreement? At no point have I refused to attend North-South meetings. But you can see that, uh, I mean, kind of similarly. People using an excuse of scheduling uh, not to attend it, it can in some way be seen as you know, exaggerating threats to withdraw staff from Larn Ports. You can see how all that can be connected. Well, that would be a further conflation. I have absolutely no issue 
in fulfilling all of my responsibilities under the ministerial code and have every intention of doing so. And a refusal to attend North South ministerial councils would be at odds with your pledge of office? Uh, that would be right if I had refused to attend North South uh, meetings, but I haven't done so. Okay, thank you. Okay, I'm going to move round. Um, John, John Blair. Thank you, Chair, and thank you, Minister, for being here. It's been mentioned already since we last met you, you have um, been appointed to your position within your own party of leadership, and we wish you well with that. And I say on, on my part, uh, wish you the very best in your work with others uh, at all levels, mm -hmm. and of course, in course, in relation to the sectors covered by this committee. Um, Minister, the, the, the picture has been built, and, and I think that the, the clearer a picture we can build in this committee, then the more easily we can reach a conclusion of this of this inquiry, and hopefully the better result it would be for that. It's clear now that, that there were a number of consultations over the weekend leading up to Monday the 1st of February with officials from uh, Mid and East Antrim Council. It seems also that the series of events um, on the evening of Monday the 1st, the decision of a council, the decision by yourself. I understand the First Minister at that point was about to go to a meeting with uh, the Duchy of Lancaster in that evening as well. Was there any point where the discussions became a coordinated effort to make that decision? Uh, I, I was aware of, of what Mid and East Antrim um, of the recommendation that was going to the Mid and East Antrim Council, uh, and that therefore uh, put me uh, in a in a fairly difficult position, uh, because if their security assessment uh, was such that they were withdrawing staff, then um, why would mine have been different? And I would need to have demonstrated um, to my members of staff uh, that I was absolutely certain that there was no risk. And that wasn't a position that we find ourselves in. So, uh, yes, the, the actions of Mid and East Antrim um, uh, Council did, did have an impact on our actions as opposed to a, a coordinated approach. Okay. Um, I'm keen to establish if there was a level of, of coordination and decision making, uh, and sure you understand the reasons for that. And we're also. Um, that, that, that coordination may have been in relation to the fact that the staff working for the different agencies there uh, were obviously linked. Um, the second question then is that um, we, we were told before uh, at the committee that, that you had made the comment, you've alluded to it today yourself, um, that the police may not have a full understanding of the level of threat. Did you yourself uh, make an approach, uh, I think you, you might have mentioned one earlier, or are you aware of any approaches made by the council or others to senior police to further discuss that level of threat and uh, try to persuade them otherwise? Yes, I, I spoke to Assistant Chief Constable Barbara Gray on the Sunday, and it was during that conversation um, that I was made aware of, of, the, of the, the threat that it came through Crime Stoppers. Um, that was actually a coded threat, and that that that, that caused me um, much more concern because of the fact that um, there was a code with that threat. Um, there, therefore, or with that information, therefore, uh, th that that gave me additional concern. I was I was really annoyed, to be quite frank, that that uh, material was not shared both with Belfast and Mid-East Mid Antrim Council by the police. 
because I think that they have a duty uh, to ensure that the councils who have that duty of care to their staff um, are fully aware of um, everything that's going on, and therefore it struck me that that, that um, sort of material should not have been withheld um, from, from, from the councils at that point. Um, so I had that information, um, picking up information that uh, police officers on the ground were um, telling our staff that there was problems, that there was credible threats. I was picking that up um, from others, uh, that police officers on the ground were talking of credible threats. So the information that was being forwarded um, to, the, to the councils and indeed to ourselves at the most senior police level um, was not uh, tying up with the information that I was picking up on the ground uh, that was coming from uh, police officers who were further down uh, the food chain. Okay, uh, if you don't mind me just, just <clears throat> teasing that out a bit, <clears throat> excuse me, um, but, you, but you're aware that, that the, the assessment of the level of threat has not changed uh, in the months that have passed since that occasion. So um, what are your reflections to the fact that police would still say that, that reports of a le level of threat that included paramilitary involvement, for example, were unsubstantiated and, and uncorroborated? Um, <clears throat> I think that over the co since, since that period, um, in relation to the Northern Ireland Protocol, you have seen um, sustained levels of violence in the streets of Northern Ireland um, that hasn't happened uh, for many, many years. And unfortunately, the, the police didn't pick up those either, uh, which concerns me because in one of the conversations I had with the police, um, they, they talked about uh, social media. And this was a, actually, I think it was a, the, the, the meeting that we had with the Northern Ireland Executive uh, and, the, and the PSNI, and they referred to taking intelligence from social media. I'm sorry, but police intelligence should be better than taking it from social media. Police intelligence should be on the ground uh, picking up information. And I know that police officers have been picking up that intelligence at that lower level uh, and have expressed that. So, uh, you know, if I'm picking up that information, I don't care whether it's coming from the assistant chief constable or whether it's coming from um, police officers on the ground. It's of concern to me if it's coming from the police, irrespective of their rank. Okay, thank you. Harry? Thank you very much, Chair. I think that's me in. <clears throat> Minister, you're very welcome to the committee here today. Minister, in relation to staff, had you been made or were you aware of any concerns raised by them at any stage or time? knowing that protection and safety of our staff is paramount, and mental health concerns also need to be taken into account, as well as physical risks and safety at or away from work. Thank you. Okay. Uh, give me a moment here, because I have a number of emails, because um, I, I requested information on this. So, without... I want to avoid any names coming here. So this, this was to senior members of staff. Uh, note the concern below, especially PSNI officers saying credible threats from loyalists and that staff need to be wary. I will raise this at stock tech tomorrow. Uh, then there's a further email. Fresh signs up at the main roundabout in Lauren Harbour, no RIC border, etc. Staff are concerned about using their own vehicles to go to um, a particular location. 
We have only one portal van. I have a request to BOR through another individual for more deer vehicles. Can you help to push this request through? Another option would be to provide a spare deer vehicle to the portal at Larne if any such vehicles are available. Now, if you, if you hadn't any concerns, you wouldn't be looking. You wouldn't be making these expressions. Then this is another one. I will issue to staff, but I have been told by some staff in Belfast who have connections with PSNI officers that these are credible threats from loyalists and that staff need to be wary. These letters um, are not really doing much to alleviate these concerns. It leaves managers on the ground in a difficult position. As well as this, staff have told me today there are three signs of different flyovers in a row midway up the M1 with no RIC border hanging from them. They weren't there yesterday. I have spoken with and he also shares these concerns. And uh, then there's, there's, there's uh, further, further emails. So you can see, um, no, number one, staff were concerned. Number two, staff were talking to the police on the ground. And number three, police on the ground were saying to those staff that there is credible threats. So in all of those things, you know, as, as minister, am I to ignore that? Um, or am I to give uh, that cognizance that my staff are expressing these concerns? I'm really surprised, actually, that this committee's doing this. I'm really surprised that this committee doesn't care enough about the members of staff and that they don't have shared my concerns about the safety and well-being of my staff members and have engaged in this, what I would view as a very um, political inquiry, a politically motivated and a politically driven inquiry. The staff should be our number one concern and I, it is my number one concern, and, and I would hope that uh, the majority of this committee uh, would arrive at that position. I'd hope all of the committee would arrive at that position, not just the majority, um, that their number one concern would be the safety and well-being of staff. These staff are expressing their concerns to me. And, you know, we pulled them out for, for seven days. It had no impact upon anything. And this committee uh, is having a, a, a full-blown inquiry. It strikes me as a, an awful waste of time and resource because I can absolutely and totally stand over the decision to temporarily remove staff to be ascertained um, further information and had absolute clarity uh, before uh, putting them back in again. Thank you very much, Minister. There certainly um, seems to have been a lot of good feedback there from staff. Um, you did say at the end there, there was no impact on staff being removed. Would that be right? Thank you. That is correct. Thank you. Good. Okay. Thank you very much, Chair. Okay, um, William. <coughs> William. Okay. Uh, Mr. Chairman, uh, thank you very much. Uh, thank the minister for attending today. The minister will be aware that. There was tensions in relation to the protocol right across Northern Ireland, and indeed in my own constituency, I received uh, contact. The PSNI contacted myself uh, to warn me of a threat on my own personal security, uh, as I was supposed to have voted for an IC bar. So there, there certainly was tensions right across Northern Ireland in relation to the threat of Lauren Harbour. Lawnport. After those threats, was security increased in any way? 
Yes, it was, uh, and police did step up security around it and, uh, and had more patrols. Um, I was aware of the threat that was made against you and two other um, uh, councillors, I believe, in, in the uh, Newry Armagh area. I was also aware of um, material that ended up, um, or graffiti that ended up uh, very close to, to representatives in the Belfast area. And uh, further to that, um, a member of this, our, our staff, a member of, of staff um, who was working at uh, the ports, um, had to move, move out of their own home because of the level of threat against them. And that move took place under the SPED scheme. So you don't get SPED schemes unless there are credible threats. Um, so, you know, I'm, I'm sorry, folks. But the evidence here is, is not, um, you know, of someone going off and doing something for a political purpose. The evidence, and it's very credible evidence, is that there was a credible threat against staff. That was being fed through, particularly at the lower levels of the PSNI. Um, that staff were clearly raising their concerns, in particular junior staff. And... Uh, that further to that, um, there were threats being made against politicians, as you yourself have just indicated. You were one of them that had a threat made against you. Mr. McEwen um, also says, we are concerned at the growing tension and strain within communities. This is on the 4th of February. And the possibility for individuals or small groups to take action of their own, of their own volition. And then we have... Um, the Crime Stoppers um, issue, where we, we have the uh, information that was provided there, which came from um, a source which, which had uh, the, the, the code of, of, a, of an organisation on it. I'm sorry, folks. Anybody seriously think that I'm going to sit my hands and do nothing to protect my staff? Well, I'm certainly not. Thank you, Mr. Right. I commend you for taking the action you did because staff, uh, security, and safety as part of it was no doubt about that. Okay, thanks. Thank you, William. Uh, Patsy? Okay. Yes, uh, Patsy? Just very briefly, I want to pick up on, Minister, uh, good to see you. Um, I want to pick up on, on a number of comments there. Just in regard to the PSNI, um, there was an issue there that the Minister did refer that senior PSNI weren't uh, sufficiently aware of the potential risk to staff. I think that's what the minister said earlier on. Now, um, could I just clarify that? And he has also made a number of comments that PSNI on the ground, um, uh, local police were, were aware of the potential risk to staff. Yet he says that uh, ACC Barbara Gray uh, had during the conversation to him revealed the issue of a message to Crime Stoppers if I'm, if I'm picking that up correctly. So I'm, I'm trying to find out where, where the deficiency or where the voids were at senior PSNI who weren't sufficiently aware of this risk to staff. And I'd just like to emphasize, um, like all other members here, Parliament for me certainly, and, and I'm sure others, they can speak for themselves, would be the safety and well-being of anyone, be they PSNI officers, staff, or whoever's concerned, any member of the public uh, in these matters. But just if I could get the Minister's opinion on where 
he sees that gap or that void in uh, the awareness of risk at PSNA. Well, uh, it doesn't strike me as being paramount, um, no disrespect, uh, Mr. Midlone, in this instance. Um, given that staff were pulled out on a precautionary uh, basis uh, for a total of seven days with, with no impact, um, you've supported a, a politically motivated um, committee inquiry. I would have thought the committee would have been better inquiring, for example, uh, into the, the fact that um, eel fishermen are, are going to be struggling to sell their materials, 20% um, of their materials, um, to the, the GB market, where that ended up um, because of the Northern Ireland Protocol, um, than, than this, than this protocol. politically motiv motivated one. Um, you have to be but, good for Mr. But, but <laughs> nonetheless, um, I'll, I'll, I'll deal with the question in hand in terms of the police. Uh, I think that the, the, I'm not sure what they told you about their engagement with Mid and East Antrim Council, but I, I noted from the evidence that was provided to you that there was, in fact, eight engagements with Mid and East Antrim Council. Um, mm. I have quoted to you from members of staff in both Belfast and Larne who were speaking to police on the ground. And, you know, I, I had this material before I made the decision, but who were speaking to police on the ground, who were telling them of credible threats. I have told you that um, there's an individual who was working um, in, the, in, the, in, in the post um, who has been put out of their home and uh, under the SPED scheme. So if that doesn't strike you as, as being, you know, of significance, I'm not sure where you're coming from in terms of protection of staff, because it strikes me as being very important and strikes me as being absolutely credible that I should take a precautionary approach uh, to ensure the safety and well-being of my staff. Sorry, Chair, that with respect to the Minister, and I know he's doing a good enough job there around Brexit and all that sort of thing to defend the position that his party took. Um, but back to my original point was, he, he is, Minister, you've presented it with a number of evidence-based things that, that you have uh, before you there about the, the SPED scheme, about the risk to staff, but you did say that senior PS and I weren't sufficiently aware of the risk to staff. I, I'm trying to establish just where in, if you like, the structural uh, chain of command at PSNI, you feel that that void or that gap or that awareness of risk was because ACC Gray did refer to you and did have a conversation with you where she gave you details. Um, the the PSNI on the ground, uh, you've referred to it again. We're presenting you with further details. I'm just trying to establish where you saw that gap was. And um, that, that's all I want to know. Well, it's, it's not for me. You, you as a committee um, seem to be saying uh, that senior PSNI officers um, don't, don't, you know, are, are at variance with what I done. And that is yes. That's what the, the, the modus operandi of this report. Uh, meanwhile, I have, I have the emails here um, from the staff saying credible threats from loyalists. Uh, that, sorry, especially PSNI officers saying credible threats from loyalists. And that the staff need to be wary. So, so some, 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 somewhere that has been lost, because if that's what the PSNI officers have been saying to the staff on the ground, why, why, why is it some, somewhat different uh, whenever you're getting uh, the information from the more senior police uh, to the committee? I can't answer for the PSNI. Okay, thank you. Thanks, Minister. Thank you.
Um, Claire. Claire? Yeah, can you hear me okay, Amy? Yes, we got to Claire. Yeah. Great. Listen, thank you, Minister, for being with us. Can I ask you just a wee quick question? Uh, the, the meeting that happened on the 1st of February at, at 4.45 with a lot of the stakeholders, um, do you know why the PSNI were not invited to that meeting? I, I didn't establish the meeting, so I can't answer that. Okay. And Minister, you're talking about this coded call to Crime Stoppers. Um, and, and thanks for letting us know about that. Do you know whether that call happened before or after a call that was made to a Sunday newspaper, I think. It's believed to have been an uncoded call and very possibly from a person under the influence of alcohol. I'm not aware of that call. Okay. Um, and listen, I just want to reassure you, Minister, that this committee are extremely concerned about the health and safety of all staff and the duty of care to them, um, as of course are you, and you've went to great lengths to let us know. But we also know that on this committee that we're very aware that working conditions for the staff of courts has been very strained since the 1st of January in terms of unpreparedness with citadel staff numbers and infrastructure needed. And that, so can I ask the Minister what your plans are to alleviate these health and safety concerns and what's your duty of care under those ongoing matters to staff currently on site? Um, well, my plans is to ensure that that we we have a better way forward, and that there isn't fifteen thousand checks per week uh, take place on goods that are coming into Northern Ireland, which are currently of the same standard as that within the European Union, and therefore pose absolutely no threat to the single market. Have you any plans at all to to make sure that there's suitable staff and numbers uh, available uh, to to allow the staff currently there to to work under better conditions? Well, the, the reality is that the vets do not exist. You know, we need dozens and dozens of additional vets. At this moment in time, there is a shortage of vets to do the other jobs that exist in Northern Ireland. Um, so the European Union need to recognise that what they're asking of us is not deliverable. And, you know, in any, in any event, it is not logical. There is no logic in having guide dogs, for example, having to have a rabies vaccine, uh, Ms Bailey, whenever there hasn't been a rabies incident in these islands since 1922. Um, there's no logic to enforcing medical uh, procedures on, on, on dogs for tapeworm uh, whenever tapeworm hasn't existed in these islands. Um, there is no logic in having 15,000 checks on food per week. That is of the same standard uh, and equivalent standard to that of the European Union, and it isn't entering the European Union. There is no logic on the, 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 the sheep that, that was coming over um, to uh, the hills and the sparrows and, and North Antrim in particular, um, not being able to come over this year. There's no logic on someone who's been selling bulls to Scotland, having to keep that bull in Scotland for six months um, if it doesn't get sold. So these are all things that I would hope that you and the, this committee would join in supporting me and other, other, other um, you know, political colleagues and actually finding a way through this, because this is not something which will end well um, if we do not change our approach. Okay. Thanks, Minister. That's exactly why I voted against Brexit, because all this <laughs> was coming. But thank you very much for that. Yeah, um, I want to thank you, Claire. Too. And Minister, you know, again, while I just follow on what Claire said there, we find that there's, there's no logic in pursuing a hard Brexit. And also, um, what you're saying there, have you been using your influence 
with Lord Frost and others to pursue a veterinary agreement that might resolve the issues that you're after highlighting? Uh, that would resolve some of the issues, and that's why I wrote them back in June um, to, to make that suggestion. Uh, but there's also other opportunities, and, and you know, fundamentally, I think that we can all agree on this. There shouldn't be barriers on the island of Ireland. We should protect the single market, and there shouldn't be barriers between uh, in the internal market. And if we can agree on all, all three of those things and come together as an executive in agreeing all three of those things, and, and I don't see any reason why we can't agree all, all three of those things, because that properly protects uh, the Belfast Agreement. That protects the north-south uh, aspect of the Belfast Agreement and also protects the east-west aspect of the Belfast Agreement. Um, then we will be in a much better circumstance if we can put a proposal to the European Union which protects all aspects um, of the Belfast Agreement, north-south, east-west, no borders, um, but can also protect the single market. And I believe that there is a means of doing that. Thank, uh, thank you, Minister. And just, I also want to just conclude, and I'm conscious you have to leave right now, um, but I just want to underline what's been said by other members, that we do take the help from our first staff very seriously. And I suppose the well, then, then that's why I'm surprised at this inquiry, well, well, sir. Well, the objective of this inquiry was that your decision around the staff seemed it was at odds with what we've been told by PSNI, which were unsubstantiated and unconfirmed. This is uh, at odds with so, what the PSNI on the ground has been saying. So, um, I want to thank you for coming here this morning. I understand you're under time pressure and you have an important me meeting with the Taoiseach later on today. So, um, conscious, thanks for coming here this morning and good luck to you. Okay, thank you. Thank you. Happy to come back if I need to. Okay. Okay, members. Um, we're going to move on here now. We have uh, an oral briefing from the department on the June monitoring round and main estimates. Um, I want to refer to papers from the department at page 16. And I want to welcome by Starleaf uh, David Reid, the finance director, Rob Roger Downey, deputy finance director, Linda Lowe, head of financial planning branch. I'd like to invite the officials to commence their briefing and members. I we'll want to ask some questions after it. Thank you, Chair. Can I just check that you can hear and see me okay? I can. Are all of the other members who are coming in um, by Starleaf? Um, you see here now? Can you hear okay, folks? Put a wee tick up on the WhatsApp there if you can hear. Everything okay? Yep. I can hear you. Yeah. Okay, thank you. Yeah, everything's good to go. Yes, thank you. Chair, thank you for the opportunity to present the 2021 provisional return performance, 21-22 main estimates and proposals on this year's June monitoring round. Turning firstly to provisional return, this is a measure of departmental spend against the January monitoring round final budget position. This is used by Treasury to calculate the amount of resources available at block level to carry forward to the next financial year. In addition, the provisional return position is likely to be published by Treasury, along with data from GB departments and other devolved administrations. We responded to the DOF on this exercise by the 14th of May deadline. DERA achieved overall spend of 99.1% of our 690.6 million Dell budget in 2021. Now, in light of the major financial challenges that we faced last year, including the COVID pandemic, 
which caused significant staff, resource and spending challenges from early in the financial year, as well as the range of EU exit and protocol uncertainties. We believe this is a very good outcome for the Department. On main estimates, the Budget number 2 Bill Northern Ireland 2021 is scheduled for introduction by the Finance Minister in the Assembly, immediately following the supply resolutions debate on the 7th of June. The Bill will provide formal legal authority for departments to incur expenditure and consumer resources as contained within the main estimates, as you, um, and you have been provided with a copy of Dara's main estimate. The expenditure and resources contained within the main estimates are based on the outcome of the Budget 21-22 exercise and subsequent adjustments as agreed by the Executive. Full details are set out in the schedules of your briefing pack. The proposed timetable for the Bill will follow the accelerated passage procedure as the Bill must pass through the Assembly before the summer recess and receive Royal Assent by the end of July 21. I would like to draw your attention to the statement of comprehensive net expenditure on page 9 of the main estimates. The 21-22 provision uh, figures for net admin costs at the top of the page should read 83.252 and not 83.748. This minor correction does not impact any other material in the main estimates and DOF has taken forward this correction with the printers. Finally, turning to June monitoring, as you will be aware from the briefing you have received, DERA is not submitting any bids or reduced requirements in this round. We are, however, seeking approval to reclassify 1.6 million of resource Dell, the capital Dell. This is in respect of common market organisation funding, which was originally allocated to us as resource Dell, and we now require 1.6 million of it to be reclassified as capital. Reclassifications from resource Dell to capital Dell require executive approval, hence its inclusion in the proposals for this monitoring round. Technical issues relate to the agreed interdepartmental transfers. Now, there are a number of technical issues which involve transfers to and from other departments. The most significant of these relates to the transfer of 7.5 million capital uh, to the Department for Economy, and that's in relation to the project Stratum. All other transfers are de minimis. AMI, or annually managed expenditure, primarily relates to non-cash issues in DERA, such as provisions or depreciation. There is only one AMI transaction proposed in this round, and that's a reduction of $1 million in respect of AFB corporation tax. Non-budget relates primarily to the movement in cash of arm's length bodies, and there is an increase of $5.5 million in the, refund, in the funding required by DERA's ALBs in this round. Chair, this concludes my summary of briefing on the 2021 provisional outturn, main estimates, and the department's proposals on the June monitoring round. And I would welcome the committee's views, and I'm happy to take any questions. Um, thank you for that, David. Um, I suppose, I suppose the, um, the the question that jumps right out at me is June monitoring. Um, you know, I know that we we all know. That is a result of the British Treasury netting off funding that we have a 19.1 million shortfall from our, our rural development uh, budget. Um, so the question jumping right at me is why is the department this year not making any bids for June monitoring? Bear in mind that we have that shortfall as a result of the British Treasury net netting off that funding from our rural development programme. Yeah, the delivery plans for Pillar 1 and Pillar 2 schemes for this year are fully funded, and so additional funding at this stage is not considered necessary. 
Um, firstly, in relation to the shortfall in their ADP, this is additional funding that we could have received under the Pillar 2 allocation for the 2027 programming period had we remained in the EU. Like under N plus 3 rules, that funding would have rolled forward to the new RDP for future spend. However, this flexibility is not allowed under UK budgetary rules, and so will make budget management of future schemes more challenging, particularly for schemes involving multi-annual commitments. Yeah, um, and have you, are, you, are you sufficiently confident that the Department has trolled uh, right through its needs in terms of, um, you know, for this, there's no, you can't, cannot identify any need at all within the Department for, to make, make a bid to this? Um, at this stage, Chair, in terms of the uh, process that we went through for the final or for the budget exercise, we did go through a fairly extensive um, exercise in terms of trolling what the needs across the department would be. And in terms of the funding that we have on the existing RDP and the funding that we have in relation to the uh, EU farm replacement funding, we're satisfied that that's sufficient for the year ahead. Um, the key point in terms of the 14.4 million and the one that I would like to emphasize is the fact that that's funding that had we remained in the EU, we would have been able to roll that forward to future periods. I mean, typically in relation to uh, the RDP and how it would have been managed previously, the spending profiles would never have been flat, straight line. You would have had peaks and you would have troughs in different years. So that's really the biggest impact in relation to not getting that 14.4 million. But in terms of the current year, we are satisfied that we have sufficient funding to cover the department's needs. And what about the 5 million that we're losing from the, uh, the, the, the EU disease eradication program? In relation to the, in relation to the 5.1 million, um, the department um, is basically continuing to explore options to determine how best to meet this pressure, and that may require us to submit um, bids later in the year in future monitoring rounds. But at this stage, we don't uh, we don't think we have um, we have identified a, a sufficient requirement to be able to bid in June monitoring. But that said, it will be kept under review, and should additional needs emerge later in the year, we will we will submit bids. So, so we know we're five million down. As a result of Brexit uh, and the disease eradication programme, but we're not putting in bids to the June monitoring? There are other issues, I mean, primarily, Chair, in terms of um, dealing with that pressure, there are other issues that we would need to consider in the year ahead. Part of that would be, for example, um, a large part of that would have typically contributed to the TB eradication programme. Um, as you may be aware, the costs associated with the TB eradication pr programme don't necessarily follow um, a straight line either. They, they can go up and they can go down. And at this stage, one of the things that we would be monitoring closely is projected spend on the TB eradication program for the year ahead. And if a requirement for that 5.1 million is identified against that, then we would we would seek to submit bids later on in the year. But at this stage, we, we think at best they, they'd be cautious rather than submit a bid for money that we may not need later on in the year. Okay, thank you. Um, John? John Blair? Stop. Can you, yeah, can you hear me now, Chair? Yes, John. Um, I thank David and, and the team for that uh, briefing, first of all. Uh, Chair, uh, the question, the very obvious one to me is, um, we're being told by the Minister there's a forthcoming climate change bill. We know for sure there's a private member's bill in that regard. 
Um, should there not be at this point uh, some bids required for the preparation uh, for either or both of those bills uh, as and when they come forward? The department is um, taking forward a, a lot of work in relation to green growth and strategic environment programs and that has been factored on as part of the final budget process. I mean, primarily in relation to the green growth to meet our PFT and, and the NA commitments to reduce emissions and tackle climate and environmental challenges. Minister Putz has prioritised the development of cross-cutting uh, green growth strategy. The Green Growth Strategy will be an executive-wide strategy led by DERA, but involving all parts of government in terms of policy yeah. and delivery. Um, Minister Putz agreed to work commencing on a range of proposals to spend up to 20 million capital, delivering against the Green Growth and Climate Action Agenda in 21-22. Currently, we have 13 projects um, around a number of areas. Some of those include a LIDAR, a LIDAR survey of Northern Ireland, livestock genetics improvement, the sustainable catchment pilot, and there's a number of others as well. Funding these programs and projects that support green growth and climate action are consistent, of course, with national and regional, regional commitments um, to achieve in that zero and should hopefully also help um, support the implementation of any new legislation. Would that cover, David, thanks for that. Uh, would that cover then the preparation for a climate change bill? Because it's a concern of mine. I, I'm fully supportive, by the way, of, of what's in green growth, and, and we've welcomed it at the committee and discussed it, and, I, and I've welcomed it publicly as well. Uh, but, but I'm concerned if there isn't some budget built in um, or unring-fenced already for the bringing forward of this climate change bill, um, which has been publicly declared as an intention. I'm not really in a position to comment directly on that because in terms of, um, I suppose, my engagement with business areas and, uh, in relation to the budget, um, I've engaged with business areas within the department in order to, in order to identify the programs and that, that, they, that, that they want to fund. So I'm kind of making the assumption that what they've come back with in terms of requirements uh, relates to their needs in the year ahead for any new legislation that's coming in. So I've been making the assumption that green growth and strategic environment programs, as an example, will be some of the um, things that business areas require in relation to the implementation of, uh, of new legislation. Okay. But I mean, I, I can't, I think I'd be happy enough to take that away and get that clarified for the committee if that would help. That would be very helpful. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, John. Okay. Patsy? Yeah, Chair, um, Chair could ask, um, are we okay? Are we online okay there? Yes, Patsy, we got you, yep. Thanks very much. Now, uh, David mentioned something there about uh, Project Stratum. Could you maybe elaborate a wee bit on that for me, please? Um, yeah, in relation to Project Stratum, um, we are providing the Department for the Economy $7.5 to support the rollout of uh, rural broadband. Um, something I suppose it's actually quite close to my heart as well because I live in a, in a rural area and this is an addition to funding that would have been provided in previous years as well. We do engage with a partner for the economy um, in order to determine uh, or for them to advise us in terms of any additional funding that they require to facilitate the rollout of uh, rural broadband and at this stage we've met, um, we've met the requirements that they have put forward. Yeah, just on that, and it would, uh, it would be very helpful if you could look at this because there's public funding that's going towards it. It has been raised with me a disparity of charging. So in other words, uh, if you're living in a rural area, you will pay, and I have the, the figures here, £20 more 
for 100 megabits per second service than you will two miles up the road in the town. Now that's that's some sort of an inequity and disparity and probably wouldn't meet with my concept of what uh, rural needs would be and um, the, the, the provision of service to rural communities. Um, so it would be helpful if you could, whenever you're looking at that and the the fees that have been levied on people, that uh, that would be factored into consideration given that it is public money. So given that all of this is supposed to be about rural, well, good part of it about rural connectivity and uh, businesses in rural areas and consumers in rural areas, young people working from home, other people working from home as the increased pressure is now. If you could have a look at that, please, for me, uh, just in whatever mechanism the department uses. Um, thank you for that. That's not something I was aware of, but happy to take that back to the department. Okay, thank you. Um, thank you, Patsy. Claire? Thanks. Am I coming in okay, Chair? Yes, Claire. Thanks. Thanks for that as well. Listen, there's it's just looking a wee bit of information. Um, you're saying that there's a one million pound reduction in annually managed expenditure in respect of AFP corporation tax. Yep. Can you give us any further clarification just on what that is and what, what it means? Yeah, AFP has historically received royalty income from the sale of vaccine products in various countries across the world um, in accordance with patent and licensing agreements. In previous years, AFP was liable to corporation tax on the net profits from the receipt of royalty income. However, the royalties have been dropping off in recent years and AFP has not received payments since June 2018. And that basically removes the need for AFP to pay um, corporation tax because effectively the income isn't there. So that's where that reduction is coming from. It's no longer required, basically. Okay, thanks for that. Um, and then I just want to look, so we know that um, due to the emergency COVID funding, um, just department budgets were, very understandably, reprioritised last year. And we know, for example, there was one million that was um, earmarked for environmental projects that had to go elsewhere, for example, that's grand. But I just want to ask, are you confident that um, we, or the department are replacing that money or that the budgets can make up for the work that wasn't delivered, maybe during the, the COVID period? Um, in terms of, I'm sorry, could, could I just ask you to clarify that, Claire, because I'm, I'm, not, I'm not quite sure what the question is. Um, I remember last year when the department were reprioritizing their budget to deal with emergency COVID funding streams, that there was one million that had been previously identified by the department or, or budgeted by the department for environmental projects. Um, now that didn't go ahead because that money was given for sectoral help for COVID funding which is understandable. But I want to ask, are you confident that the department has now, you know, any money that was earmarked previous pre-COVID has come back into this year's budget in order to carry out pre-planned works? I, mean, I would need maybe just double check there with uh, Roger on that one. Uh, yes. Uh... The um, business areas bid for extra money to ourselves uh, as part of the budget exercise, and uh, I think there's around two million has been allocated to strategic environment programs in this year. Uh, 1.6 million of that is for a green recovery challenge fund, and that's in addition to two million extra funding that we got as part of uh, additional COVID funding as part of the final budget as well. 
So, uh, and this this uh, recovery challenge fund will promote the green economy and provide uh, strategic sectoral support to the environment, environmental not for profit sector. And um, there's also a natural heritage green recovery and growth challenge fund, which I understand was launched on the fourth of May, and closed for applications just yesterday. And uh, letters of offer are scheduled to go out on it at the end of July. There's also some smaller amounts as well uh, in relation to a water challenge fund of, of 200,000, um, 30,000 clean air fund, uh, the 30,000 fund uh, to look at single use plastics as well. So, so business areas have, have looked at a, a range of um, things that weren't able to take forward last year and uh, are trying to uh, do, take them forward this year instead. Thanks very much for that, Roger. It was good to hear about the, the clean air strategy as well. I know that the department are working on a number of strategies, the air strategy, clean air strategy, ammonia strategy, the green growth strategy. Um, do we have a waste strategy? Are all these things factored in in terms of budgetary costs to deliver? Uh, on that then? As, as part of the strategic environment programs, uh, there's not something specific on waste, but there is the Household Waste Collaborative Change Program, uh, which has been rolled out with the councils, um, and uh, that's been taken forward. Uh, and, you know, it's, you know, I suppose it's part of an ongoing work with the councils over a number of years to, to promote waste recycling. And that has improved recycling rates uh, uh, over this last number of years. So there is some capital for that this year um, of 4.6 million. So that, that's still being taken forward this year. Okay, thank you. Okay, Claire, thanks very much. Rosemary? Thank you. Um, thank you very much for your comments there on the budget. Uh, I want to go back to Project Stratum for a um, few moments. It's, it's my understanding that there seems to have been a disparity between the postcodes that Project Stratum received from the councils and the postcodes that Project Stratum are working towards supplying with the, with the broadband. There's, and in relation, for example, very isolated postcodes that have no broadband will still, after Project Stratum has been completed, still be without broadband. Have you done much investigating into that? Yeah, I am aware that there is um, an issue um, in relation to um, some of the postcodes that haven't been picked up in relation to Project Stratum. Um, and I'm aware that the team within the Department for the Economy is looking at that um, in terms of trying to resolve it. Um, but it's not something that would be within the remit of DERA, but it is something that we are aware of. Uh -huh. Well, I was wondering, you know, you talk about monitoring and not bidding for money. Would it, be po would it have been possible to put in an extra bid and added further money to Project Strata? In relation to um, our engagement, with the Department well, for the Economy on Project Stratum. Whenever um, we've engaged with the Department for the Economy um, in order to determine what they require from DERA in relation to uh, funding Project Stratum, we have, uh, we've, we've met the requirements that they've put forward, but we wouldn't be in a position that they uh, determine those requirements ourselves. That would really be for the Department for the Economy. Okay, thank you. Okay, thank you. Uh, just in, in terms of uh, 
money for the department uh, to ensure there's sufficient investment and to implement the full range of the protocol obligations, you know, including staff, etc. Somebody could address that. Yeah, well, I mean, in terms of, um, I suppose, the, the background of the funding um, situation in relation to the ports, um, you may be aware from previous briefing that the, uh, the, the ports funding is being provided directly by Treasury, um, and that was agreed in 2021 on the basis of an approved outline by the business case. Now, the business case for, was for purposes of delivering the required infrastructure at the, port, uh, at the ports, and we also secured an additional $5 million last year bringing the total funding um, to be received from Treasury for last year to 50.3 million. Now, given the challenge and timelines for delivery, uh, for delivering the, the full build facilities, that wasn't achieved in 2021. However, contingency arrangements were, were implemented. Up to March 2021, a total of 8.1 million capital, 1. 1.1 million resource was spent on the provision of infrastructure, IT systems, and personnel for the work necessary to carry out the required sanitary and phytosanitary checks at the ports. Um, a full business case is currently being developed as the proposals for infrastructure are significant, cross-cutting and controversial. The Minister has confirmed his intention to take options for consideration and decision of the Northern Ireland Executive once the full business case is fully developed. Um, and at this stage, it is anticipated that funding for the current year will be made available when the full business case is approved. And we are engaging with both DOF and DOF are engaging with uh, Treasury in order to ensure that funding is in place for the year ahead. Okay, fair enough. So, uh, there's the, the chair who came back into the room. There, there's no other uh, members uh, have any questions, so I'm just going to... Sorry, Patsy? Patsy has indicated he wants to come in. Chair, if I could please, it's just in regard to um, that business case that we're referred to. Um, how long has the business case been in, we'll call it, gestation? Um, I wouldn't say it's necessarily been in gestation because um, I understand that the business area is actively working with. Um, as an example, the, the contractors and the CPD in order to determine what the um, what the final financial requirements will be. Um, so it is it is actively being worked on at the minute. I think at this stage the timeline for delivering the business case is anticipated to be kind of late summer, early autumn. So I'm thinking at this stage around August or September. So it is so, actively being worked on at the minute. Well, maybe uh, maybe I'm asking the wrong. But have you any idea when it started? Because you you, you will accept that. When the business case you've just outlined, when the business case late summer is due to be completed, is actually when the works were due to be completed. In terms of the business case work on the full business case, um, I wouldn't. I, I mean, I would need to double check the business area just to confirm timelines, but it is. Um, it is something that I would imagine the business area has been working on um, since the delivery of the contingency arrangements back in January. So I would make the assumption, but would need to confirm the business area, that they've actively been working on the business case since about February. Yes. Okay. Can I maybe just uh, appreciate, David, and, and appreciate your, your uh, honesty in telling me that. Could I ask one final thing? Has there been any further contingency compensatory amounts set aside at the department for delays in um, delivery of the schemes to contractors or, or service sectors or, or I should say 
professionals associated with the development of the schemes? Um, I would imagine in relation to uh, potential or in relation to delays or pauses um, that there is the potential for compensatory events. Um, but in terms of the financial implications, that, that is something I'm expecting to see to be fully drawn out and considered as part of the business case process. But I don't have I don't have um, figures on that with me at the moment. Um, that's on the basis that today I was uh, in terms of looking at June monitor. The, well, the protocol cost is something that sits outside our normal June monitoring process. So, okay, um, but can you get us figures if if in fact that that yep. projected those costs or associated costs or what we'll call them a compensatory amounts if there has been allocations made for those, please just that'll be very helpful. I'll be able to confirm that when I go back to the department. That's great, thank you. Okay. Okay, thank you, Pat uh Patsy. And I think we have uh, no other members and okay, um I'd like to take this opportunity then to thank uh, Roger and David and Linda for uh Join us here here this morning, and we'll be seeing you again at some stage. Okay, so thank you very much. Um, thank okay. you, sir. Um, okay, our members. Okay, uh, members. Okay, we support the department's budget proposals, and our members content that the clerk writes to the department seeking confirmation regarding any actions taken with regards to June monitoring round and what outstanding budgetary pressures the department anticipates over the course of the current financial year. Okay. Okay, members. Thank you. Um, okay. Members, turn off mute their mics, please. I want to advise members mm -hmm. that the budget number two bill uh, will be introduced by the finance minister in the assembly on the seventh of seventh um, of June, which is Monday. Uh, Statutory committees were, were asked by the committee of finance to seek evidence from their departments and stakeholders in respect of the twenty one twenty two. Uh, and to provide a summary position. The evidence has now been received and a response has been tabled for members' consideration. The members are okay that I uh, seek agreement to forward the committee response to the Committee for Finance. Okay. Okay, members, item number seven is the uh, a written briefing draft consultation on the protection for service animals in NA, uh, otherwise known as Finn's Law. Uh, I want to refer members to the briefing at page 33. I advise members that the Department intends to launch um, uh, an eight-week consultation via citizen space on the proposal that the same added protection conferred in service animals and other parts should be afforded to service animals here. The consultation proposes that any animals used by the PSNI, NAPS, harbour, airport or military police, uh, as well as any person that exercises the powers of a police constable or is employed for or engaged to provide a service for police purposes should have added protection. This consultation proposed following campaigns for changing animal welfare um, uh, legislation in the United Kingdom and now provides added protection for service animals. The consultation proposes to a change to substantive criminal law, which is a matter from the Department of Justice. Minister Pouch has written to the Minister of Justice to seek comments that she may have on the draft consultation document. He previously sought her views on uh, on matter, and she had indicated that she was broadly supportive of the principle of offering additional protection to service animals. The Department is requesting any views or comments on, that the committee may have. Uh, on the proposals contained in the draft consultation document, subject to its views or those of the Minister for Justice, the Department intends to launch an eight-week consultation as soon as possible. As attended, the officials will then analyse and summarise responses received over a summer recess with a view to providing the committee with an updated res 
update on them in September, along with an overview of the department's proposed way forward. At that time, depending on the outcome of the consultation, is intended that executive approval will also be sought to introduce an assembly bill on the matter in the autumn. Um, do members have any comments, or do you want to forward them to the clerk? Or okay. So, members, happy that the department appraises the committee of the outcome of the consultation and the way forward in September. Okay. Okay. Okay, members. Um, item, the next item is correspondence. Uh, correspondence is page 106 of your packs. Uh, I want to refer to correspondence at page 143 on members' development and an online training session on protecting your social media reputation, which is available for members and any party to support staff which manages social media accounts on members' behalf. Uh, there are three dates offered in June, with sessions lasting for three hours and will be available using the Zoom online platform. Members are advised to email Gavin Irvine in the CAMS office to pick a place in the training session. Full details are in the memo at page 143. I want to draw members' attention to the correspondence in the table pack received on Tuesday this week from the current chairperson of Solace, clarifying its position regarding some information the committee has heard regarding the Ports investigation. Are members content that the clerk replies acknowledging the correspondence and explain that be taken into account in the committee's considerations? Okay. Members content to act in the remainder of the correspondence as suggested in the correspondence index at page 104. Okay. Okay, member item number eight is forward work programme. It's page 147. I want to advise members that there are three or 11 sessions on the climate change bill confirmed for next week's meeting and the clerk continues to populate the forward work programme with the rest of the agreed stakeholders. Any member, I want to remind any member who has yet to confirm their attendance at the Climate Change Bill stakeholder events on the 17th of June to do so with the clerk by the close of play today. Um, are members okay with the forward work programme? Are we agreed with it? Okay, members. Do members want to raise any other business? Okay. Okay, I want to advise members that the debate on the committee motion on nature-friendly farming has been scheduled for the 7th, which is, which is next Monday, and I encourage as many committee members as possible to attend and contribute to the debate. Um, if the members have any other business, you can raise it there. Okay, okay members, uh, the date and time of the next meeting will be on Thursday, the 10th of June at 9.30am, and it'll be a hybrid meeting. Uh, as we've been having this last while, streamed on the Assembly website and online. So members, thank you very much. I'm going to adjourn the meeting. I'll see you all again next week. Okay. Take care. Thank you. Bye now. Thank you. This is the Northern.